What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if you're still trying to make sense out of all the conflicting rumors, smoke screens, and reports that are out there about the Lakers this offseason, well, just do like Kyrie and in sense. Hey. Because that's the only kind of sense outside of nonsense that you'll be getting out of this wacky summer for the Lakers. But hey, regardless of where we're at in this Kyrie Irving odyssey, we, as the Lakers Legacy Podcast, are still here, somehow, trying to help get you through these arduous dog days of summer. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, you still hanging in there, both mentally and physically, when it comes to this up-and-down roller coaster ride of uh, Kyrie Irving saga? Still staying healthy and COVID-free? Yeah. All right, very good. That is good to hear. So, for this episode... This will be another sort of stopgap micropod that will live on its own as we wait for more pressing major developments to materialize. And in this episode, Tommy and I will, well, continue to talk about the Lakers' new roster and see if we have any new observations and revelations to bring to the table regarding the Lakers' new signings. But first, if you guys could please do us a favor and take some time to give us a five-star Apple Podcast rating and review, that would be amazing. And if you've already done that or don't use the Apple Podcast app, then please give us a five-star rating and review on the Spotify app. And we know all of you use Spotify to some degree. So we'd love it if you could also help raise our exposure on that platform as well. All right, so let's get into it. For this first segment, Tommy, I wanted to talk to you about our new signings as a whole and view them from a more macro lens of how they'd all fit together within what the Lakers and Darvin Ham want to do schematically and philosophy-wise this upcoming season. Because for me, and maybe this is where we'll land, I think the Lakers this offseason tried to take into account the beautiful motion offense that Darvin Ham's familiar with during his time in Atlanta and Milwaukee. And I think they tried to pool together a number of guys who are versatile offensive players, and also versatile on the defensive end as well. But... These guys, they're clearly not knockdown three-point shooters, and no one would mistake them for knockdown three-point shooters, but pretty much every one of the new guys that we signed can sort of handle the ball and drive it into the paint and put pressure on the rim to some extent. And so the emphasis on ball handling and passing in particular from all of our new signings is apparent to me. Yeah. Outside of that, we also just got more players this offseason who have a little bit more size than we've typically signed before. 
They're also more athletic and more prone to being transition accelerators who can really push the issue of pace for us this upcoming season. From Lonnie Walker to Troy Brown Jr. to Austin Reeves to Stanley Johnson to Kendrick Nunn and THT if they're both still here, we have a plethora of role players who can do a little something-something with the ball in their hands. They can put it on the floor, and they can really force a defense to react to their intentional productive movement without solely relying on LeBron, AD, or you know Kyrie Irving to create an advantage all on their own for the rest of the team. Right. And this off-the-bounce creation even applies to a guy like Quan Toscano-Anderson, who isn't a playmaker in the prototypical point guard with great handle sense, but he's a good, smart ball mover within a system who can keep things flowing. He averaged two assists pretty much every season with the Warriors and averaged a pretty nifty 2.8 assists with them last season. And then like a lot of these other guys we've signed, JTA in particular is a really good attack-the-closeout sort of player who has a quick first step and enough of a handle to really take it all the way to the rim and cause a defense to have to react. Uh, He'll be at the three-point line, ball swings to him, and regardless of whether the defense closes out hard on him, he'll catch you with his quick first step and then boom, he's all the way to the basket for a sick tomahawk jam. And even if you look at the bigs that we acquired, Damian Jones and most especially Thomas Bryant, these are mobile bigs who can not only space the floor for you a little bit, but they can also actually put the ball on the floor from 16 plus feet out as well. They're not as one-dimensional as, say, a Bismack Biombo or a Dwight Howard type who can really only survive in the paint. Yeah. So I think despite the lack of even above-average shooting, the list of players the Lakers have compiled, they all can at least make something happen on their own. And especially within Ham's motion offense, if given some actual guardrails and a scheme to help harness their natural ball handling abilities and other versatilities in their game, I think we have the semblance of something that could work around LeBron and AD and something that can help take some pressure off of them as well. And if you've seen the way that Bud and Darvin Ham operate their motion offense principles with the Bucks, but most especially the Hawks, it wasn't just predicated on shooting. It was predicated on having multiple people on the court who could handle the ball and drive and then kick back out. And then that guy drives and then kicks back out, you know? And I feel like with the players that we currently have, it's like we've collected these guys who can actually, I feel like, fit in a motion offense system that's predicated on driving and kicking, keeping a defense guessing and bent because you are putting pressure on the rim. Now, obviously, shooting is essential to that because your hard attacks on closeouts aren't as effective if the defense isn't actually closing out on you, right? If you're not a good right. shooter or you don't right. have a Kyle Korver on the other end, like zigzagging and getting the defense confused. But I think we have the skeletons of a pretty versatile group on offense that can, alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis, actually not be stagnant, actually keep a defense guessing because they can do stuff on their own. They can drive. And I know I'm saying a lot of the same things that we said when we got like Lance Stevenson and Rajon Rondo and Michael Beasley. And I'm, you know... I'm fully aware of that, but we're under a new system now. We're under a Darvin Ham who has worked with different players before and made it work with guys who can handle the ball. And so I think that's what kind of excites me about even these fringe guys who may not even get that many minutes, but in a pinch, you know, you stick them in Darvin Ham's system and I think they can actually make some noise on the offensive end and you'll actually see the defense bend in ways that you maybe have not seen before, provided, again, we get the necessary shooters around them as well. 
but yeah, your thoughts on that point, and then if you want to talk about any um, individual players or, or them as a whole. So as a whole, I'll take it as a whole because I sure. I think like you know we 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 don't really know which one of these guys is going to hit. Um, so I think it's like you take them as a whole because I think the theory is like one of them hopefully will or two of them. Um, but I think you hit it on the the nail on the head when you kind of. You know, these guys are all versatile. They're not like, and no, this is no knock on like a KCP or like a Danny Green, but they're not like you throw the ball to them in the corner and if the shot isn't there, that's it. They're not able to do anything else. They can put the ball on the floor. They can attack the rim. They're super athletic so they can run. It's like getting a guy who can run this fast, like guys that can run this fast, jump like this, and have upside, at least upside, to hit a three, even if they're all like kind of mesh shooters so far. Um, it It's very, very interesting for how we want to play. But to your point, most teams that Bud has had, I won't say every roster because I'm not familiar with all of them, right? But like when he was with the prime Hawks days where he had like, Millsap and Horford. So those guys were playing Paul Mill or Al Horford at the five. He could space Paul Millsap at the four. He could space Kyle Korver. I can't remember who their other guard wing was. And then like, and then they had Jeff Teague. Right. And so it's like at all times there were minimum four guys on the floor who were three point or yeah, four guys on the floor who were three point shooting threats. Same thing with the bucks, their worst three point shooter at any given time on the floor is the MVP and defensive player of the year. So like you can make that work, but when you're trying to run this like motion type of system where, and by the way, it's a beautiful system. If you look at how the Hawks ran it and how the, Mm -hmm. um, the bucks have run it the last few years, it is, it, it, it's very, very fun to watch. And you have to imagine it's probably fun to play in too, because like, no one's role on any given play is just sort of stand around. Like you, the guys are constantly reacting and in motion and, and you know, it it is all very exciting. However, like you said, it's sort of predicated on getting looks and then driving and kicking for better looks. But the problem is to be able to drive and kick, you have to be able to draw the defense all the way out and, who on this, you know, who on this list of guys is going to reliably do that? So that's my one concern. And I guess we'll just have to see if they address that concern in other ways. No, yeah, right. And obviously Thomas Bryant's acquisition as a legitimate spacing big man helps a little bit in that cause and gives us an interesting versatility at the big man spot that we didn't have at all last year. And you could almost kind of squint your eyes a little bit and see AD and Thomas Bryant playing that Al Horford and Paul Millsap role that the two of them did for Ham in Atlanta. But yeah, we still have a lot of work to do three-point shooting-wise considering Kendrick Nunn is statistically our best three-point shooter at 38% the last time he played. And of course, we're probably going to be heavily relying on the incoming assets of whatever big trade we end up pulling off to give us that boost in spacing and shooting. So we'll see. And also, I do want to add that a guy like Cole Swider could potentially be a solid contributor for us early on. And as it likely stands right now, he's probably our best three-point shooter. He doesn't provide the creation or defensive versatility of the other guys we signed in free agency, but as far as being a knockdown shooter who can run off motion and come off screens and hit dribble pull-up threes, he is a versatile shooter. And one who can sort of approximate the role Kyle Korver had when he played for him on the Hawks as well. Right. And, you know, the Hawks' motion offense actually really hummed 
thanks to Kyle Korver running around like a maniac all over the court and defenses being so hyper-focused in on where he was at at all times. And obviously, I'm not putting high and lofty expectations on Cole Swider, but just saying down the road, that's who you can see him projecting out to be and who he would sort of mimic when placed into Darvin Ham's system. So I could definitely see Swider growing into that role. But obviously, you don't want to put too much pressure on a 23-year-old rookie who's on a two-way contract right off the bat. So so I'd assume we still have a lot of work to do with regards to ancillary trades and maybe even the last one or two roster spots we have uh, to continue addressing this paltry three-point shooting that we currently are stuck with. Because that's really the, the main missing piece to all of the ball handling, creation, and dynamic transition athleticism that we've sort of pooled together here. All right, so let's take it to break here, and when we return, Tommy and I will give some of our new updated bullet point thoughts and observations on the new signings once again, now that we've had a little bit more time to dive into their tape and all of their player film rooms. So we'll catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we're back, and to close this quick micropod episode out, Tommy, I'm actually going to force you to give your mini bullet points on each of these new free agent signings. Um, I'll go first and and start with Mr. Thomas Bryant, the return of Mr. Green Mile, because he looks like actor Michael Clark Duncan, RIP. So (laughs) I mentioned in the first segment how Anthony Davis and Thomas Bryant could sort of approximate what Al Horford and Paul Millsap did for him on the Hawks in terms of being two bigs who could space the floor and and also sort of play pick and pop and pick and roll for one another and offer this creative two-man game between the bigs. But I was also trying to think about who the last big was that Anthony Davis played next to that sort of resembles Thomas Bryant's game. And and I sort of thought about when AD played with Marcus Gasol two seasons ago and how much better yeah. things looked, how much more space there was on the floor, and how open and less stagnant the offense looked when Mark was starting with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. It was a little bit clunky for sure, but it was a lot better than when we had Andre Drummond or Montrez Harrell on the floor. And so in some senses, I can see Thomas Bryant fulfilling that sort of Mark Gasolish role. But where Mark Gasol was a lot more plotting... I think Thomas Bryant has a lot more versatility and dynamic movement to him because he is a much quicker shooter and a more nimble player in terms of cutting, slipping screens, driving, even putting the ball on the floor than a Marc Gasol. Right. So I think keeping that in mind, I think a way better reference point with regards to someone that AD once played next to would be the time when Anthony Davis played alongside DeMarcus Cousins when they were both on the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah. Now... Thomas Bryant, just like my Marcus Gasol comparison, is not the passer and playmaker that DeMarcus Cousins was, but he does have some playmaking acumen from the top of the key, and he sometimes does throw a nice little bounce pass to some cutters. So he's not totally a black hole when it comes to playmaking. And again, in terms of being able to shoot jump shots and threes, he very much approximates the type of player that DMC was. I think DeMarcus Cousins is probably the higher volume shooter, but Thomas Bryant has had seasons where, you know, he shot 38%, 40% from three-point land. And again, he is a very fluid and natural jump shooter, kind of the same way as DeMarcus Cousins is. And I think frame-wise, Thomas Bryant does have that same sort of girthy bully ball frame that DeMarcus Cousins has. Yeah, he's like 250 or something. Yeah, while still also being mobile and being a big who can put the ball on the floor from the perimeter. And when I was watching Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins play together on the Pelicans, 
man, the two of them were such a force on the perimeter, which is crazy, right? They're big yeah. men, but they're yeah. doing most of their damage and causing havoc on the perimeter because they're drawing these other big men out and they're almost moving and acting in accordance with one another as if they're wings. And because the both of them could either shoot or drive to the basket, the spacing was really good. DeMarcus Cousins would draw the five out of the paint and AD would either have more space to cut or post up, but also more space to just take his man off the dribble and drive. And this is just the action between the two bigs. Now imagine the havoc that LeBron James would cause when added to this equation. So yeah. obviously I don't think Thomas Bryant's going to be as dynamic as DeMarcus Cousins was with Anthony Davis, but I think he can approximate some of those similar actions and at least be a versatile pick-and-pop short roll big that can switch setting screens for Anthony Davis and vice versa. So I'm very interested and excited to see what playing with a spacing but also mobile big does for Anthony Davis and the ways that we can take advantage of having such a unique look up top in our front court. Right. And how Darvin Ham will utilize those strengths. Given the fact that we've seen him utilize those strengths with his bigs in Atlanta, Paul Millsap and Al Horford, but also his bigs in Milwaukee with the yeah. likes of Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, uh, Robin Lopez, Sergi Baca. So, so yeah, that's my main new takeaway and point for Thomas Bryant. I'll speed up the pace, moving on to uh, Lonnie Walker. Um, he very much is built like Eric Bledsoe. And I think he has the same sort of athleticism as Malik Monk, but the blend of strength and power is much more apparent than Monk, who's slighter in frame, right? And while right. I've seen Monk do some dunks that I haven't seen any player do, including Lonnie Walker, when Lonnie Walker goes up for those tomahawk jams, like... He's looking to tear the rim down, and he looks like a mini LeBron James out there. He's definitely yeah. more of like the power dunker. And so he's going to be a lot of fun in transition to watch. And that's why I can see the argument when people say, I think he's even more athletic than Malik Monk. Malik Monk is creative, like I think the more creative athletic player. But I think Lonnie Walker, just because of his sturdier frame and the way that he's built, you combine that with the leaping ability he has and not only when it comes to dunking, but the way he's able to contort for these weird-ass layups and get and-ones, the possibilities are enticing. I will say, though, that I still have a lot of my doubts with his shoddy three-point shooting. His offense can be very high variance, you know? So I don't doubt that we're going to have times where this guy's looking like a mini Kent Bazemore out there, and that definitely worries me. But in terms of, like, the transition play, like, that's where Darvin Ham can really utilize... Um, Lonnie Walker and take advantage of him. Uh, Troy Brown Jr., I've mentioned he's like Evan Turner. He also kind of reminds me of Michael Carter-Williams. Maybe a better comp is Sean Livingston, a higher-end comp, because his calling card is being able to handle the ball. And if you can harness his defensive potential, that's where you can get more of like the taller playmaking ball handling guard and Sean Livingston who can contribute to high level basketball. Because in total, Troy Brown Jr., the thing that sticks out to me is He's a really smart, high basketball IQ type player. He's almost like, if you look at their body frames and the way that they play because they can't shoot that well, he's almost like another THT out there, but less erratic. So for me, the way that I describe things is Troy Brown Jr. is Kendrick Nunn to THT's Malik Monk, if that makes any sense. Whereas THT and Monk are more of the freewheeling, explosive scoring primary creators, but also you know their handles can be loosey-goosey. 
Nunn and Troy Brown Jr. are more of the under control within a system offensive orchestrators, which I kind of like. So it's good to have that different dynamic between Troy Brown and THT if he's still on the team. And then Damian Jones, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see him knocking down threes from last season. but I, I did actually watch some clips. Dude, I don't know, man. I don't want to get myself too hyped and excited. His stroke but actually looks pretty good. Looks pretty good. And I know we've made this joke before when we first acquired Damian Jones, but looks like James Wiseman out there. Remember, you know, like the first few games James yeah. Wiseman was playing, he was doing everything, including shooting jump shots and threes. And I'm like... That's what Damian Jones is doing. Maybe it just took him six years to realize his first-round pick potential. But no, all jokes aside, very excited about Damian Jones, even outside of the three-point shot. And then my last thought on Juan Toscana-Anderson is I'm still worried about him not being able to shoot. I, I think there potentially were better options, but the one thing that I go back to is he's very athletic and he does have a very good, strong frame. So I like that blend in tandem with Lonnie Walker and our ability to race down into transition and really attack the rim. So what are your like very quick bullet points on any of these players or each of these players? Yeah, I think Lonnie Walker, I knew he was an athlete, but explosiveness is not really mm-hmm. what I was expecting. Like he, I, I think your your Bledsoe comp is actually not that far off. I think like he's obviously a little bigger, but he looks like I, I don't know. He he is listed at what six four, six five. Mm-hmm. He looks small out there, but when he explodes off yeah. the ground, he doesn't look like a, a like a legit like six four six. I feel like KCP was listed at six four six five, and he looked a lot bigger. Um, so he looks like more of like a point guard almost. But when you see him explode off the ground and just like go attack these big guys with like no fear. I mean, when that dude goes to the rim, like you said, he wants to tear the rim down. He's not going up there to like, he's going for a reason, not the season, as Stu Lance would say. <laughs> um, but, you know, so that's the thing that has, has sort of stuck out to me. Troy Brown, I think, I, I don't honestly... I. You know, I'm. I, I feel like I'm. I'm stealing a lot of your terms with these guys. But utility guy, he does mm-hmm. seem like sort of a jack of all trades. Does he excel at any one thing? No, but he'll be an average three point shooter. He's a you know maybe above average speed, above average athleticism, above average length, and then in some ways maybe like slightly below average. So he all kind of comes out to like a middle player. But like frankly, these are the types of players you need on your team. You know, like you said, he's not like THT, but you don't need a bunch of guys who are going to be erratic necessarily when you have a multiple star system. The other thing I'll add about Troy Brown Jr. is he's sneaky athletic because in space out of nowhere, he'll like throw down a windmill jam, but it looks like the slowest windmill jam you've ever seen. You know how <laughs> yeah. you've seen players like that where you're like, he looks very unathletic, but if there's no defenders around him because of his length, you're like, oh, what the hell? But yeah. Yeah. Ahead. Okay. And Damian Jones. So he, uh, the problem is most of these highlights you see are like, offensive right mm-hmm. so i i can't speak to how much his defense has improved since you know he left us because he had at times problems on that end with us um, especially on the but, perimeter especially on the perimeter but his offense i don't know man it looks pretty good i will say <laughs> like it's not it's rare to find like a young jumpy big like this who isn't just constantly fudging stuff up. You know what I mean? It's like you felt like last year you couldn't even throw the ball in DeAndre. And this is a bad example, obviously, but you couldn't even throw the ball in DeAndre Jordan's direction without something horrific happening. 
And Damian Jones just, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Like, you don't really see him getting stripped that much, although he does put the ball on the ground. You know, you don't really see him putting up these horrific efforts at the at the rim, and he takes a good amount of attempts. Like, yeah, he has a really high field goal percentage because the overwhelming majority of his shots are dunks. But I think, like, with these types of young, springy bigs that you can get for the veteran minimum, like, I think people sort of underrate this ability to jump up, grab an offensive rebound, take body hits, and go up and finish in the paint at a high rate. And he seems like he's able to do that. Um, The interesting thing in these Kings clips is, like, you see him catch the ball and, like, take fadeaway, like, <laughs> you know, like, spin and take fadeaway jumpers and, like, swish them, and it looks pretty nice. So it's like he, if he has that stuff in his bag, that that obviously helps. I, I want to make one comparison to they're not exactly the same players because JaVale McGee is, like, longer and taller, but look how long it took JaVale McGee to find a role in the NBA, like a reliable role, right? Yeah. I could see that happening with Damian Jones. And now, what, JaVale McGee is perennially getting, like, six-plus million dollars because teams are like, we can use that guy, right? So um, to transition you to Juan Toscano-Anderson, the one thing that I wanted to point out is I actually watched some defensive highlight tapes, and it is actually very impressive. The way that he's able to move his feet, stand his ground, because he is very strong. So those aspects of things I am very excited about because— he can also play up. I've, there are several clips where he's defending like guys in the post on a switch and he holds his ground and causes like a bad shot or a turnover because of his active hands. So defensively, I have no complaints about Juan Toscano Anderson. It's really about whether he can hold up offensively. But yeah, your thoughts on JTA? He's, I, he, I always thought this was weird. I feel like this is the most randomly, the most polarizing uh, signing of the guys we signed, even more so than Lonnie Walker in some cases. I personally have never been a fan of Juan Toscano Anderson. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people think this is like a fantastic uh, pickup at the minimum. But it's interesting because he's known as being super athletic, and he definitely is super athletic. But have you noticed that like when he goes up to dunk, he like barely, his hand like barely gets over the rim, dude. It's like maybe he doesn't want to hurt his hand. <laughs> maybe it kind of like in a weird way reminds me of. Uh, you remember that dude, Xavier Henry, that we used to have back yeah. in the day? <laughs> Something about Juan Toscano Anderson, like, <laughs> reminds me of his game where it's, like, sneaky athleticism. Um, but, like, it always feels like he's barely dunking, but the dunks he's doing are, like, absurd. Like, yeah. tip dunk off a missed three-pointer. Like, the, Dude, the tip dunks are insane. Like, he cocks that thing way back. He yes. cocks it back, but it, like, it looks like he's barely <laughs> getting it above the rim, but what he's doing is so extreme. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's, he's kind of interesting in that way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the weird thing about JTA, and I think you, you said this in the first podcast, is that why is he the I'd, I'd imagine he'd be the like last training camp signing you know what i mean yeah yeah but i guess it's the golden state warriors pedigree yada yada he could definitely pan out but again there are still guys out there you're looking at pj dozier who could probably have more upside too but maybe jta is that like hedge in the middle of he's an older prospect who's proven it with a championship team so you want some of that experience and someone who's just you know the ceiling is not going to be there, but maybe there's a floor there that you can work with and that Darvin Ham can work with because he is very much that sort of Darvin Ham hustle, you know, dive onto the floor, dive for loose balls, like knock balls away sort of player that I think Darvin Ham loves to work with. And you can just sick on anybody, even if, what, he'll probably play six minutes at a time, you know? So, um, yeah, with that said, Tommy, thanks for joining me. At this point, we're not sure who else has been signed, whether the Kyrie Irving trade has happened, but hopefully this is a good additional segment to add. So with that said, Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. 
Laters. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H E R O.co.